not all industry practices actually happen this way. But just remember, when everything is going good, it doesn't matter. But when things go bad, it definitely matters. And that's where things can fall apart. So there are a couple of steps there, but it's for the safety of, in this case, always for the safety for the investor, but also the eyes of law here too. Welcome to the Path to Passive podcast, where we talk about building wealth and empowering lifestyle through commercial real estate investing for tech professionals. I always wish that other tech professionals reaching financial freedom had documented their journey along the way, so I'm doing it for the rest of us. Join us as we explore stories, many failures, and lessons learned along the way. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. So the questions we're kicking off today with are, those questions I sometimes hear, which are, who can actually invest in deals? And what exactly are these accredited investors? What are accredited investors, right? So what are accredited investors? How do you know that you are one or if you're one? What is the SEC? What do they have to do with this particular topic? And why do you absolutely need to care who the SEC as well? So uh, quick story, you will be, you might be shocked or, or maybe you won't that there are a bunch of people out there who actually are accredited investors, but they don't know that they are. And this particular stat, which is something that I always think about when I first saw it, is that as of 2020, it was estimated that almost 14 million accredited investor households in the US. So that's about 10 to 11% of US households in 2020, according, uh, according to 2020. And that accounted for 73 trillion in wealth. Now, I remember being in a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class back in 2020, and I was talking to this guy who who didn't even know that he had the accredited investor status. He had it for a different reason, or or one set of criteria, which we'll be getting into. But it was just showing the point that there was someone that I knew right away who uh, I'd met that didn't know he was a accredited investor. So it's interesting what a little bit of knowledge can do to open up your world, right? Anyway, so in this episode, we'll be covering. A couple things. By the end of this episode, you will absolutely know what an accredited investor is, why you should care what an accredited investor is, especially in the eyes of the law, what the SEC is, and why they are concerned about these different types of investor classifications. And finally, last but not least, how to determine if you are an accredited investor or not, and why this matters to your investing future. Investing future. So, with that, welcome to another episode of Path to Passive. This is real estate investing for tech professionals. We're tech professionals who want to learn how to invest in real estate, get the maximum leverage of their capital to earn income, save on taxes, and build generational wealth. My name is Stephen Rita. I, of course, am your host. I'll be bringing you another episode every week on Fridays from real estate entrepreneurs, leaders, who are sharing some experience I have my path along the way. I don't know everything here, but I do want to be, uh, I do want to be recording and be sort of the guide to document some of that along the way. So with that, today's episode is accredited investors and investing. So quick story before we get into all of the goodies today is I remember when I was first getting started into the world of investing. I didn't know what I didn't know, like many of us and whatever we're doing, I thought, all right, Fairly simple. Make money, buy assets, real estate, have those assets pay you, do some management, and have a party. <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe a little bit kidding about the party, but 
or not. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta have fun too, right? Otherwise, what's this all about? Uh, anyway, as I as I got further into the world of investing, I saw how big the private placement and private investing world is. How many niches, options, types of people, backgrounds, investment vehicles. So many of them. And to get access to these investments, you need to be part of that network. You needed to hit some certain qualifications to access them. And that's where understanding investor status comes in and is foundational. So I learned some important things along the way. And that's what I wanted to share with our experience. Uh, you know, the, the different gates or the different ahas is what that accredited investor is. It's okay. I, I heard it. Well, it sounds important. I should know what it is. You know, another gate is SEC. You know, who is this? Ah, scary three-letter acronym agency. What do they have to do with this? Why do they care? Well, how, how serious is this, right? And then point three here is how do I determine if I meet the criteria for investor status? It's probably one that we want to know as well. So uh, very simply, point one right into it. Let's talk about what the accredited investors are. So Let's just make it really, really, really simple. If you report 200,000 or more on your W2 form, or you and your spouse or spousal equivalent report more than 300,000 per year, then you very well might be accredited. Now, I'll say why later on, why I said you might be, but it's 200,000 if you're single, and it's 300,000 if you're a couple, you and your, your spouse or equivalent, right? So what also qualifies here, there's sort of a, another, there's an or here that, that you could be an accredited investor if the person has 1 million in net assets, right? This is excluding your primary residence, someone who has earned that 200 or 300,000, right? So this other category is 1 million in net assets in two immediately preceding years, right? So it has to be two years, one after the other, right? So it is not only your salary gets counted, but also bonuses, other tax deductible wages reported, you know, on the end of year for that W-2. That's why so many tech employees qualify as a credit investor. So you could be the 200,000 if you're single, 300,000 if you're a couple, and $1 million, $1 million net worth, uh, net assets, excluding your primary residence. And the reason is, is pretty simple, right? It's kind of kind of giving it away here but the sec doesn't want you to put your home at risk when you go invest now when i was talking about that person that i met in that brazilian jiu-jitsu class this is yet another category another area where you could be accredited and it is people with certain professional certifications don't need to meet that financial requirements to be considered accredited and those could be those that hold the finra series 7 65 82 licenses also qualify. So these are the FINRA, as in Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, Series 7, 65, or 82 licenses. Okay, so while we're on the topic, I'll just answer right now if you're thinking it. Okay, well, what do I need to qualify? But could I lose it? Yes, you can lose the, invest the accredited investor status if your net worth or your earnings suddenly drop. Makes sense. This is this is the line to get it, and this is what happens if you you know to lose it. Now, if you hold those certain professional financial qualifications, and you can lose that status if your certifications become invalidated, right? Pretty simple. Now, losing your status won't affect any investments that you have already made, but it will affect your options moving forward as you will no longer have access to 
those accredited investments. So if we think about this, there's a tiering here, right? You could be totally non-accredited. You could be something called sophisticated. We'll talk about later. Then you could be you could then be accredited. There's of course tiers and tiers and tiers, turtles all the way down, you know, or stacked all the way up in this case. But the multiple levels here are non-accredited, sophisticated, accredited, and then that next level above, which would be called a qualified purchaser. Now we're not going to be talking about that today, but I want you to know that it exists. We may be talking about that in the future. So the entire reasoning behind the concept of investor, right? It, who is accredited is to reduce the risk for anyone who does not have sufficient knowledge or capital to be exposed to high risk investments. Again, these are typically higher dollar amount investments. We're talking 25, you know, 50, 100,000 plus types of investments. So it's all about protecting the investor and considered high risk investments. High risk is relative. We'll talk about that later. Anything is more high risk if you don't know, if you don't have the education about it. Uh, but inherently, everything has risk, period. Okay, so second point here is determining your investor status, right? If you do not meet the above, then you would be considered non-accredited. At 200,000 single, 300,000 uh, if couple, or that 1 million net assets, not excluding, not including your primary residence. So that said, you could still invest if you become a sophisticated investor. What is that you ask? Well, a sophisticated investor is simply someone who has shown extensive knowledge of financial and business affairs. Now this comes from having gone through those FINRA certifications I mentioned above, uh, you know, mentioned earlier, and it could also be from taking courses in education where you can get that knowledge. Not all sophisticated investors are accredited, all right? So you could be non-accredited, right? But get the education to become sophisticated. I'll say that again, just so we can make sure that we're understanding the big picture, is that not all sophisticated investors are accredited. So you could be not accredited, but get the education to become sophisticated. Now, in certain offerings, sophisticated investors are allowed to participate, such as those in what are considered 506B offerings. We'll get into what 506B is later, but just mentioning that here. And in some cases, sophisticated investors guide those who are accredited. In cases, you might be thinking about it here, if there you have advisors who do have these certifications um, who not may not make that uh, total investor criteria as well but hold the roles to advise. And it could be that maybe they have different certifications as well, other than the ones I mentioned, just to be clear about that. So stay tuned. We'll be getting to the next section where we talk about what 506B offerings are as, uh, as well as others. But understanding that, now would be a good time to mention levels of certification again, just to bring this stack back up here is non-accredited, sophisticated, right? Is that if you have the education accredited, if you meet that 200 or 300 K or those certifications or that net worth, and then that qualified purchaser, which out of scope for right now, but again, mentioned before, just want, you to know, the stack. Now, 
each level has the right to invest in progressively uh, different types of projects. So this leads us to the next topic, the SEC. All right. So <laughs> the SEC stands for the Securities Exchange Commission. Securities Exchange Commission. Maybe you already know this. If you're brand new to this, well, now you know. SEC is Securities Exchange Commission. In doing a little bit of research about this, super interesting to hear or to read all about it. But Here's what I found to, to make it punchy and straight to the point. So it's an independent agency of the United States federal government created in the aftermath of the Wall Street crash of 1929 to protect investors, right? It's all about to protect investors. SEC is three-part mission, protect investors, maintain fair, orderly, and efficient markets, and to facilitate capital information. Now, the SEC's mission is to protect investors, maintain fair, orderly, and efficient markets, and facilitate capital formation, right? But we're talking a lot here about protecting investors. So the accredited investor definition was created to ensure that potentially high-risk investments were only open to people and organizations that had a high-risk tolerance for them. In other words, basically, they could afford to lose that money and it wouldn't wholly crush them financially, right? So what ends up happening here is we have these offerings, which are called private placements and are completely open to someone with that accredited status. Now do you see what I mean? You have to have accredited status in order to have access to these types of investments. Now, many of these investments that are open only to accredited investors require large minimums. I talked about this before. We're talking 25, 50, 100K or more. Someone with low net worth might not be able to withstand that loss. And again, when I mentioned, I reiterate this, the SEC wants to put things in place to protect investors, right? So that's what it's all about here, right? To understand the SEC involvement, we have to define what a security is, right? This is the Security Exchange Commission. So what is a security? Let's define it. Very generally, though, in this case. Generally, if an investment uh, it is an investment of money is made in a business with the expectation of a profit to come through the efforts of someone other than the investor, right? Expectation of profits to come through um, from someone other than the investor, and it's considered a security in that case. Now, to take this further, something that I've heard a couple of times, I think it's kind of cool to hold in the back of your head. I will be including these in the show notes as well is what we're going to talk about here next. And this is a four-pronged test that has come as a result of a court case. All I want you to remember here is called the Howey test, the Howey test, all right? It comes out of a, a court case and it's a four-pronged test, right? But briefly stating this, there's an investment of money. The investment is made into a common enterprise. Investors expect to make a profit and any expected profits or returns are due to the actions of that third party or promoter. Again, I know this is a lot of information. Take the broad strokes here. Remember the Howey test. Links will be in the show notes, right? So it doesn't matter if you know it's things like an equity security, debt security, or hybrid as long as it meets these four prongs, then it would be considered a security. So that is the advanced section for all of you giant nerds who love all this information, just like me. If anyone else is like, this is too much information, just remember the Howey test. Remember there's a four prong 
uh, point here and feel free just like anything access this on your interwebs to learn more about it too so knowing what the security is we can consider we have private and public security offerings right so if a bell just went off in your head and you're thinking hmm a public you're probably thinking about those tech startups that we've heard so many times of course we've heard ipo initial public offering right security so that's public and then we have private so now if investment meets criteria for security and it's it's to be public then it must be filed unless it has an exemption to be considered private all right so what do we know here let's go a little bit further stay with me public offerings are these ipos initial public offering now registrations with ipos can be costly requires more expensive disclosures and private placement and if you've ever read about this stuff you know, the companies have to make sure all the books are absolutely clean. Everything is, you know, gets exposed to the world, right? And so there is a lot of disclosures and a lot of work to, to make it happen, right? So these registered securities require issuing company to, you know, uh, make the issuing company to make it public, right? Filings, reportings, all, all on cadence, right? Now, all that said, we talk, we're talking public here, but let's talk about private. So the SEC provides several exemptions to the registration requirement. This is where what's known as called the regulation D or reg D. You will hear the term just like that most often. So now you have the insider terminology is that you have the reg D. This is where it comes into play. And what it does is provides a more streamlined approach for the private offerings, private placements. Now, with the exemptions provided under Reg D, it's in the only is not the only pathway for making it private, but it's you know the one that you'll you'll hear a lot, and it's not required to be registered. Most commonly used by venture backed startup and VC firms. Now, Rule Five Hundred Six of Reg D provides the framework that most private companies and funds use to raise capital by issuing the exempt securities. So we talked about 506B earlier and 506C. So within Reg D, we have 506B and 506C. So these are the two classifications that you're going to see under the private offerings. So this, this is it. Like this is where a lot of ahas are going to come that you need to know when you look at deals that come up, come across the table. So if you are going to want to invest, you need to pay attention to this section. So I mentioned 506B and 506C, the common terms in talking about private investment offerings. So let's talk about 506B first. Now I'm going to be calling back to a term here, GP, right? A general partner. This is part of that, the sponsor ownership team. Now, a GP can raise unlimited amount of money as long as they do not publicly advertise or solicit investments for that particular property, okay? That particular investment. Now, this GP team, the ones offering this investment can raise unlimited amounts as long as they do not publicly advertise or solicit. Now, the GP team can 
raise unlimited amount from accredited investors in a 506B offering and as many as 35 non-accredited investors, such as sophisticated investors. Okay, so do you see how it comes full circle? 506Bs mean that the GP team cannot publicly advertise, can raise unlimited funds, can raise unlimited from accredited and only 35 non-accredited investors that must be sophisticated. So those investors are the ones that must have the knowledge. All right. Now there's one more thing here with these sophisticated investors is that there's something called a substantive relationship, right? So it must have substance, this relationship between the sponsor and the investor. So what does that look like? How do we do that? Now, assume the sponsor you found, right, as the investor, and so what we're talking about is, you know, checks out with they've got a good track record, they're not going to take our money and run, the, you know, they, they, they check out, they're on the up and up. Here are some high-level steps that would have to take place for this substantive relationship for a 506B offering. So the uh, investor, the sponsor team would have to do something like publicly advertise uh, the company, right? And this would be some, you know, typically with some kind of educational content. The investor would fill an application, right? They'd see this content and be like, oh, you know, okay, cool. Let me, let me go and talk to them. So they'd fill an application requesting to be informed for future deal specific communications, right? Whether that's through something like an email that would come to the inbox, now, investor follows goals and types of communications there. Then what would happen next is the investor would have some kind, would sign up for like a phone call or a meeting. Now, this is a very key date for this to happen because this is a breadcrumb as far as this relationship is concerned. This is when the relationship has started, right? In this meeting, there should not be any talk about deal-specific details, the investor and the, the 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 sponsorship team should just be talking about experience the past, experience level, financial position, talking about the sponsor and operator's process, talking about philosophy, track record, criteria, investment thesis, stuff like that. All right. After that, it's done. Again, no information about the deal. What comes next is called a cooling off period. Right. So after that initial call, you've got to wait some time. There has to be some time that's passed. Typically, this could be around 30 days. There could be additional communications and conversations in the form of you know, other emails, texting, phone calls, whatever. And it's a good opportunity for the investor to learn more about that sponsor and the operator team. So with the, the cool-off period done, there's now opportunity for an investor to go check out a deal presentation, presenting a deal to them, right? So in this case, there would be pitched this particular deal. Hey, here's the offering. Here's this private placement, right? From the, from the operators. And then if you wanted to, that investor could invest. So non-accredited investor could meet a sophisticated investor qualification by being educated and have a substantive relationship. All right. And those were some of the high level steps. Now, all that said, you know, not all industry practices actually happen this way. But just remember, when everything is going good, it doesn't matter. But when things go bad, it definitely matters. And that's where things can fall apart. So there are a couple of steps there, but it's for the safety of, in this case, for the, for the, always for the safety for the investor, but also the eyes of the law here too. So 
Moving on to the 506C aspect here, all right? In this case, a GP, the general partnership and sponsorship team, can perform general solicitation and advertising without any limitation of how much capital they can raise. So 506C means that GP, GP team can actually go out there and solicit. Hey, I got a deal. I can advertise. Who wants to invest? Right? It's available for all accredited investors to invest in that 506C offering. But you know, unlike the 506B exemption, GPs must take reasonable steps to verify that the uh, investors are actually accredited. So remember how I said before that if you meet the 200,000 or 300,000, you may be considered a credit investor. You know, you probably know if you're uh, looking at those, that, that criteria that, well, okay, I meet that. that, that sounds about right. But you have to remember here that that the party uh, of of GPs and sponsors are also there and they need to vet with reasonable steps the investors as well. It's just to make sure that there's protections on both sides and everybody's doing their due diligence and it's on the up and up. So, you know, reasonable steps, what does that mean, right? So if an LP, limited partner, right? When we talk of GP, LP, the investor, is claiming accreditation status based on income, the GP may mean to obtain LP's tax forms, you know, from the, the last two years. You know, they could get um, income statements or, or uh, tax forms to show that they've actually met accredited investor status. You know, it could be, you know, if it's a claim is on net worth, the GPs can review LP's assets, you know, they could get things from bank statements, brokerage reports, things like that. So there's um, other things I've heard of where GPs may get written confirmation from the investor's attorney, you know, registered investment advisor, CPA as well, confirming they took reasonable steps to, to verify that the LPs uh, meet the requirements that they're looking for. All right. So I know that was a lot. Uh, I'm going to have some links in the show notes. But let's move on to this last point here, which what does this mean for me? What does this mean for you as an investor? So is it a good thing to be accredited? That's the question. Well, you probably have figured this out already by, by listening here that being a credited investor gives you financial edge, right? It gives you more opportunity to the different investment vehicles. Uh, an accredited investor is able to invest more wealth due to that stronger financial position, right? And that many more opportunities such as uh, those in private equity funds, hedge funds. Of course, we're here. This is real estate investing protect professionals. So real estate syndications, uh, private equity, real estate deals, et cetera. So accredited investors, much more diversified, our opportunity for a much more diversified portfolio, invest private funds that are you, you know available for those that are over, those that are non-accredited and sophisticated in this case. Hey, I just wanted to quickly mention that anything that I talk about on this episode is not legal advice. Please make sure to always do your own due diligence. We are providing links in some of the show notes, but I just wanted to come on and mention that. With that, please continue to enjoy the rest of the episode. So quick recap here, we covered what an accredited investor is and a non-accredited investor, and we talked about what a sophisticated investor is. Very simply, the accredited investor, if single, 200,000 a year, couple, 300,000 a year, reported in the last two consecutive years or two, two years, okay? 
We introduced you to the mission of the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission. Right? We talked about the four-prong vetting approach. Does anyone remember? Say it with me. This is the how we test. All right. This is the how we test. And I introduced you to Reg D for private exemptions versus the public IPOs. So if you remember Reg D, you remember 506B and 506C, then you're in really great shape for today's episode. Uh, 506Bs are the ones that are not advertised, and you can raise unlimited funds from accredited investors and only 35 sophisticated investors are allowed, which must have a substantive rela uh, relationship with the sponsor team. We talked about 506C offerings, which can be publicly advertised and are for accredited investors only, but the sponsorship team and the GP team must take reasonable steps to verify. We talked about a bunch of different ways that they can, including software, getting a tax forms, talking to attorneys, you know, CPAs, et cetera. And finally, that the credit investor is a great place to be in, you know, a great status to have here because you get access to all these different investments. So all of that bringing to the action of today which is do an evaluation on your current status. Do that self-evaluation. Are you accredited or are you not accredited? If you aren't accredited and you do want to invest, then you need to know where to start looking for you know, the education to become sophisticated. Shameless plug, following this podcast will help you get there. It's simple. On the why, which is if you want to invest, then you need to know where you're currently at. Right? It's like looking at a map. It's one thing to know where you want to go, but you need to know where you are as well so you can bridge the gap. Of course, coming back to focus on criteria, which here again, knowing your investor status will help you lock on to what your investment should be. You know, So the next time you start seeing deals, investments come your way, you know, ah, 506C, I wish I could, but I'm not a credit. Or 506B, perfect. I can do that too because I am accredited. So you'll know which deals you can invest in and which ones you're qualified for. So you'll also know, you know, you'll know how to have the conversations with other investors and deal sponsors who ask the question, right? Hey, are you a accredited investor? So you can see there's multiple different reasons to, to talk the lingo, understand the the uh, the deals that come across the table and know what you have access to. So bringing us to the quote of today, which is formal education will make you a living and self-education will make you a fortune. And that is by Jim Rohn. Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. And if you haven't heard of Jim Rohn, who's actually Tony Robbins, one of the teachers that really, really inspired Tony Robbins back in the day. So I love that quote because yeah, it took me a long time uh, before I ever heard accredited investor. And um, it, it's definitely a specialized knowledge as uh, I'm sharing here today. So anyway, I thought that was a great one for you today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. So just wrapping up on an upcoming episode, we'll be talking about who gets paid in what order. We want to get paid. We should know how we get paid. And it will help to understand uh, how to analyze deals and preparation for episode on deal analysis. So I'll be introducing you to what's called the capital stack, the stack of what we consider debt and equity put together 
Uh, we'll also be talking a bit about what's called mezzanine debt, senior debt, preferred equity, and common equity, and ultimately answer more and more about, yep, that's right, how you get paid. So if you're wanting to know more, uh, more about that, and you don't really even know um, uh, what the capital stack is, uh, you're going to need to know. So tune in on the next episode about the capital stack. So with that in mind, if this helped you, please share it. Send it to someone that you think uh, would absolutely want to know. Hey, a credit investor. Um, and if there's things that you want to learn about or uh, you, you want to talk story, you want to jump on a call, learn more about anything, please feel free to reach out to me. I am Steven at aritacapital.com or you can reach me at the period real period arita on Instagram. I'm looking for another handle. I know it's a bit long, but that's what I got for this moment. But feel free to reach me an email, steven at aritacapital.com. Also, if you have topics that you would love to hear about, please let me know. I love talking with my fellow colleagues, my investors as well. And I want to hear what questions you have. Uh, I know some of the questions I hear as I go to different events, I go to meetups, I you know continue to read more and learn for myself and to share it here. But if you have questions or you have ideas for episodes, please reach out and let me know. So thanks so much for joining me on this episode today on The Path to Passive. I will see you next time. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Path to Passive. We love connecting with our listeners and those on the path to architecting their wealth and improving their lives. Feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see in future episodes. Get in touch with us through email or Instagram. See you next week for a new episode.